0: Tonight's lecture, we have with us a doctor, Hakim Muhammad Rashid, who was born in Flint, Michigan, in the United States of America. <clears throat> he has a B.A. in psychology from Pomona College, a master's degree in early childhood education, a Ph.D. combined program in education and psychology from the University of Michigan. He has done postdoctoral work at Michigan State University. He was taught at Jackson State University, which is in Mississippi, University of South Carolina, University of Michigan at Flint last year. Uh, last year, he was a visiting professor at the University of Khartoum in Sudan. Currently, he is an associate professor of human development at Howard University in Washington, D.C. He is on leave as a Fulbright scholar at King Saud University here in Riyadh, and we welcome Dr. hakim Muhammad Rashid
1: Alhamdulillah <laughs> Alhamdulillah wa wa salatu ala sallallahu alayhi wa wa ala alihi wa sahbihi as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh I have entitle this talk, Can One Be Secular and Muslim? And this title, this this whole subject, really emerged out of a um, letter that I saw one day from the editor, or from a colleague of mine at Howard University, to the editor of the New York Times. And this colleague of mine started out the letter by saying, I am a secular Muslim. That was the very first thing he said in the letter was, I am a secular Muslim. And I wondered about that. I wondered what he meant by that. And it led me to do a little more investigating of the whole idea of secularism, the meaning of the word secular, the agenda of those who profess to be secularists, and the implications of the process of secularization for the Muslim world. Now, as we know, the Muslim Umar today faces a number of challenges to its overall well-being. We can talk about poverty, famine, illiteracy, technological backwardness, decaying infrastructures. These are in many respects the defining characteristics in virtually every country that claims a Muslim majority. Despite these material deficits in the Muslim Ummah's overall quality of life, however, a much greater threat to its continued existence is at hand. And this threat represents a comprehensive challenge to the legitimacy of the Holy Quran as a source of law for Muslims, and to the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a pattern on which to build the Islamic life in an Islamic society. This threat is the process of secularization a process that is viewed by its uh, adherents those who believe in secularization as evidence of the human being's evolution evolution from superstition to rational thought and it's important to constantly keep that in mind that the secularist view their worldview as a stage of evolution from superstition to rational thought. Now this threat to the Ummah is profound not because of the strength of intellectual argument supporting secularization, but because the advocates of secularization have the economic and military wherewithal to force compliance with their worldview, It's not about the process being intellectually strong, sec- being a, an intellectually strong argument for secularization. Now we have a situation where those who believe in this process can force others to comply. Now I'd like to address uh, uh, briefly four basic questions that are essential to any discussion of the relationship between Muslims and secularization. First of all, what is secularization? We have to be clear on our uh, definition. Secondly, how has the Muslim mind become secularized? Thirdly, and this is basically the title of the presentation, can one be both Secular and Muslim. And finally, what kind of methodology should we employ for de secularizing the Muslim mind? In other words, taking the the, the, the the Muslim mentality away from this process of secularization. What is secularization? And Notice that I'm using the word secularization as opposed to simply secular or secularism. Okay. Secularization is a process. It is a process that is ongoing. Now the Dutch theologian uh, Cornelius van Persen has defined secularization as the deliverance of the human being, and I would like to quote him, the deliverance of the human being first from religious and then from metaphysical control over his reason and language, unquote. (laughs) And I I, let me repeat that, from the theologian, uh, Dutch theologian Van Persen, secularization is the deliverance of the human being, quote, first from religious and then from metaphysical control over his reason and language, unquote. He goes on to state that secularization is, quote, the loosing of the world from religious and quasi-religious understandings of itself, the dispelling of all closed worldviews, the breaking of all supernatural myths, and sacred symbols, the defatalization of history, the discovery by man that he has been left with the world on his hands, that he can no longer blame fortune or the furies for what he does with it. unquote. And he goes on to say, secularization is, quote, Man turning his attention from the world beyond and toward this world and this time, unquote. With secularization comes, quote, the disappearance of religious determination of the symbols of cultural integration, unquote. He says it suggests, quote, And I know I'm quoting him liberally, but I think it's important to get this from an authority in this whole process of definition. It suggests, quote, a historical process, and listen to this, almost certainly irreversible in which society and culture are delivered from tutelage to religious control and closed metaphysical worldviews, unquote. According to Van Persen and others, secularization is comprised of three integral and interrelated components, and I'll just list them before I define them. First of all, the disenchantment of nature, secondly, the de of, pro- of politics, and thirdly, the deconsecration of values. Now, what do we mean by these? Okay, first of all, the disenchantment of nature. This involves dispelling any notion that nature may be uh, defined or controlled by di- divine or supernatural sources. This Disenchantment of nature, dispelling these notions, that there may be any divine or supernatural control over the natural process that the human being is free to act upon natural phenomena and the environment in a manner unconstrained by religiously determined parameters. The desacralization of politics involves abolishing any legitimation of political power derived from sacred sources. Thus, the natural process of political change is based solely on human reasoning. Finally, the deconsecration of values involves the human being's realization that values and beliefs are relative. That historical change necessarily involves a change in values over time. There are, therefore, no eternal Value. There are therefore no eternal values. Now again, secularization is viewed as an evolutionary process. A process through which the human being move, moves from infantile, immature notions of God's will, prophecy, and revelation to adult-like. And I have these in quotation marks. Adult like, mature notions of man's will, prediction, and reason. So, again, an evolution from notions of God's will, prophecy, and revel- uh, revelation, immature notions, to mature notions of man's will, prediction, and reason. In the book, The Future of an Illusion, for example, Sigmund Freud describes man's development of the concept of God as emerging out of a need, or a continued need, for a father figure. Secularization thus describes a process through, through which the secular worldview emerges, a worldview that just as any other worldview Attempts to explain how the human being came into existence, his reason for existing, and his ultimate fate. While it is true that the adherents of the secular worldview focus their attention on the here and now, there is clearly no shortage of secular explanations for man's creation, they call it evolution, or his ultimate fate, they call it the Big Bang Theory. The emergence of secularism as a dominant worldview in Europe and the West is a direct result of the schism or the break between the Roman Catholic Church and science that characterized the Dark Ages. Scientific explanations that were at odds with church doctrine were seen as heretical and their adherents severely punished if not put to death. This drove the scientific community underground, where it ultimately developed its own worldview, devoid of theological underpinning. In the Islamic world, however, no such schism took place between religion and science. The seeking of scientific knowledge was seen as an act of worship, and many great religious leaders were scientists as well. Now let's move on to this the second question again briefly. How has the Muslim mind become secularized? As the Muslim Ummah sunk into the pit of colonial and neo colonial domination, it lost its ability to educate its own citizens. Fragmented into artificial nation-states created by the Western colonial masters, a dual educational system was imposed that created a false dichotomy between Islamic and modern, that is, secular, education. The leadership of the newly formed states was drawn from those educated in the secular system. And soon a Western-oriented elite was prepared to administer the affairs of the newly formed nation. A prerequisite for membership in this ruling elite, however, was commitment to Western values, Western education, and the Western worldview. This westernization of Muslim mind necessarily creates hostility to Islam since Islam was the dominant ideology of the West's newly conquered foe, The conquering of Muslim lands, however, was not done in the name of Christianity. The motive was material gain and the exploitation of the vast resources possessed by the Ummah. Muslims did not have to be converted to Christianity. It was enough that they simply abandoned Islam. And I'd like to quote a, a publication of the, the International Institute of Islamic Thought in terms of this, I guess we would call it a de-Islamization process. And I quote, The colonial, colonialists attack everything either directly or by their native puppets. The perfection of the Quranic text, the message of the Prophet, wasalam, the veracity of the Sunnah, the comprehensiveness of the Sharia, and the glories of Muslim achievements in culture and civilization were severely denigrated. None of them were spared. The purpose was to inject doubt into the Muslim's confidence in himself, in his ummah, and in his faith and ancestors. The object was to undermine his Islamic consciousness and to subvert his Islamic personality." Unquote. Thus we're planted to see the secularization in the minds of Muslims throughout the Ummah. Now, can one be both secular and Muslim? The eminent uh, African-American sociologist and historian uh, W.E.B. Du Bois once described the descendants of America's African slaves as having a double consciousness, or two roaring souls within one mind. One of these souls longed for Africa, the motherland. The other valued everything European. A similar kind of schizophrenia or double consciousness permeates the mind of that individual who calls himself a secular Muslim. What is a secular Muslim? If it is a person that says that they believe in both secularization and Islam, then that individual is either out of contact with reality, what is called schizophrenia in the Western world, or has given the implications of this label very little thought. The logical inconsistencies in the label are clear. If one believes in secularization, Then the Quran can only be viewed as an example of a, quote, supernatural myth, unquote, and its laws as, quote, the religious determination of the symbols of cultural integration, unquote. One cannot believe in the disenchantment of nature and also believe that Allah created the world and placed the human being in it. One cannot believe in the de-secularization of politics and also believe that the Quran provides the parameters for Islamic government. And one cannot believe in the deconsecration of values and believe that the Quran is an eternal guidebook for human moral behavior. Therefore, one cannot simultaneously believe in secularization and Islam, thus it is impossible to be both secularist and Muslim. The secularist believes in the supremacy of man's will, the Muslim in the supremacy of Allah's will. The secularist plays loosely with the quaint phrase, no religion in politics. The Muslim makes no distinction between religion and politics. The secularist is a firm believer in moral relativism. The Muslim is a firm believer in the supreme moral authority of the Quran and the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad The secularist and the Muslim cannot peacefully coexist in the same mind. Secularism and Islam cannot both be true. And what one believes to be true establishes the parameters of one's behavior. Consequently, the parameters of behavior will either be secular or Islamic. The drinking of alcohol, the eating of pork, sexual intercourse outside of marriage, homosexuality, the payment of interest, the list could go on and on of those behaviors that reflect value differences between Islam and secularism. The secularist wants to be free to satisfy his own will while the Muslim wants to be free to submit to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, the secularist and the Muslim cannot peacefully coexist in the same mind. This is not to suggest that Muslims and secularists cannot Peacefully coexist, although some would argue that point. In a world with a population approaching 5 billion, over 1 billion of whom are Muslim, this peaceful coexistence is a must. Both groups must recognize that there will be places where Muslims are predominant and places where secularists are predominant. Each must recognize that certain societies will be governed according to the parameters of each world view. I think we all recognize that Muslims are not in a position to impose Sharia in a land where they are an extreme numerical minority. But likewise, secularists cannot deny Muslims the right to establish Sharia within the context of an Islamic state in lands where they are clearly predominant. What is the methodology for desecularizing the Muslim mind? Once it becomes apparent to the Ummah that secularization is in fact de-Islamization, the converse becomes equally obvious. Islamization is desecularization. Since the essence of mind is the individual's knowledge filtered through his worldview, then the Islamization of that knowledge should, should result in Islamized De mind.
2: The first side of the talk is over. Please turn to the second.
1: What is the methodology for de secularizing the Muslim mind? Once it becomes apparent to the Ummah that secularization is in fact de Islamization, the converse becomes equally obvious. Islamization is de secularization. Since the essence of mind is the individual's knowledge filtered through his worldview, then the Islamization of that knowledge should, should result in Islamized, de-secularized mind. The process of Islamizing knowledge, however, is, not, is, is one that will require generations to complete. As the ancient Chinese proverb says, however, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Muslim scholars around the world are now beginning to take the first steps in the process of Islamization of knowledge. And here again I'd like to quote a publication from the International Institute of Islamic Thought. Quote, The greatest task confronting the ummah in the 15th, 15th Hijri century is to solve the problem of education. There can be no hope of the genuine rev- revival of the ummah unless the educational system is revamped and its faults are corrected. Indeed, the system needs to be formed anew. The present dualism in Muslim education, its bifurcation into an Islamic and a secular system must be removed and abolished once and for all. The two systems must be united and integrated and the emergent system must be infused with the spirit of Islam and must function as an integral part of an ideological program. It should not be allowed to remain an imitation of the West, (coughs) nor should it be left to find its own way, nor should it be tolerated that it serves merely the economic and pragmatic needs of the student for professional training, personal advancement, or material gain. The educational system must be endowed with a mission And that mission must be none other than that of imparting Islamic vision and cultivating the will to realize on the larger scale. This Islamic vision can only come from Islamic minds that are prepared to do ideological battle against those belief systems and worldviews that are anti islam This preparation can only come through a thoroughly Islamized educational system that prepares its students to be both Muslim and modern. The children and young adults of the Ummah must be taught that it is possible to be Muslim and use technology, to be Muslim and want a better material life. Secularists are not the only ones who use computers, fax machines, VCRs, and satellite dishes. The Islamic mind can rise to the challenge of secularization and engage it on every intellectual battlefield. As a former secularist myself, one who firmly believed that religion should only be a peripheral part of human life, if present at all, I experienced this intellectual struggle between Islam and secularism raging within my own mind particularly my early days as a Muslim how could I go from believing that God was an imaginary father figure as my Sheikh Sigmund Freud had taught to believing that Allah was Lord of the worlds, master of the day of judgment how could I go from believing that religion was in Karl Marx's words the opiate of the masses Believing that Islam was not only Dino Haq, but also the straightest path to human salvation. There was little emotion involved. It was, for the most part, an intellectual battle raging in my head between two competing worldviews. The outcome was decided through the application of reason that uniquely human attribute that allows the human being to choose his own path. Of course, as a student of psychology, I had studied Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I knew that self-actualization was considered the human being's ultimate need. Yet there was still something missing. I wanted to believe in something that not only addressed me personally but also addressed the suffering masses of African American people. Secular humanism was not the answer. I saw where it was leading the West morally. Drug abuse, sexual promiscuity, materialism, individualism a breakdown of family values. All of these seem to be on the rise as religiosity and God consciousness decline. Was just any religion the answer? Of course not. I knew too much about Christianity and its legacy in the African American community to believe that it could ever be a liberating faith. Any religion that portrays God as a European man and says that people are born sinners could not be any of any lasting help to African American people. As I studied Islam, however, I began to have a vision of human potential that that went well beyond anything presented by secularism, humanism, socialism, communism, or any of the other isms that I had studied. My study led me to conclude that although Islam came in its final form with the revelation of the Qur'an to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, sallam, the mission to, to God's will had existed in Africa for thousands of years. A, a struggle had thus been waged historically to establish the supremacy of God's will over man's will. The advent of Islam was a major element of that struggle and the material and spiritual success of Islamic civilization in the first centuries after Hijra bore witness to Allah's promise of success to the believers. The great Islamic empires in West Africa, Ghana, Mali, Songhai, the ancestral home of most African Americans were also clear evidence of the progress made by African people under the banner of Islam. Finally, in my own struggle, I was convinced beyond a doubt that Islam was the solution. In essence, my reason had defeated my emotion, since even though I was emotionally attached to the moral relativism and moral laxity of secular humanism, reason dictated that a change in value orientation and lifestyle was necessary for me personally and for African-American people as a whole. It wasn't long before I publicly affirmed that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. My transformation from secularist to Muslim was official, although the de-secularization of my own mind would be an ongoing process. This is the message I want to leave you with in conclusion that this desecularization of the Muslim mind cannot take place overnight. It is a process, however, that must take place if the Muslim Ummah is to achieve any semblance of strength within the community of nations. The Islamization of knowledge and the Islamization of education must be priority. The Islamization process, however, must extend to all elements of culture and mechanisms of socialization, literature. Film, television, radio, art, etc. We cannot afford to have another generation of Muslims grow into maturity with deep-rooted anxieties and apprehension about their Islamic identity. We cannot afford to have another generation of Muslims grow into maturity believing that the civilization produced by Islam is inferior to the civilization produced by Western secularism. And we certainly cannot afford to have many of the brightest minds in the next generation describing themselves with the schizophrenic term, secular Muslim. May Allah continue to bless and guide efforts at Islamization throughout the Muslim ummah. I just want to close with a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Very brief hadith ila leave that which makes you doubt or that which does not make you doubt. And I think we all realize that the whole process of secularization that we see in the world today is designed to make us doubt the religion of Islam. We must study, we must commit ourselves to this Islamization process we must recognize it clearly one cannot be both secular and Muslim Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh A'udhu
3: billahi barakatuh. يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله إما يعذكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا يا ايها الذين امنوا اطيعوا الله واطيعوا الرسول واولي الامر منكم فان تنازعتم في شيء تردوه الى الله والرسول ان كنتم تؤمنون بالله واليوم الاخر يريدين أن يتحاكموا إلى الطاوة وقد أمروا أن يكفروا به ويريد الشيطان ويريد الشيطان أن يبن لهم ضلالا بعيدا وإذا قيل لهم تعالوا أنزل الله وإلى الرَّسُولَ رأيت المنافقين يَصُدُّونَ عنك صدودا فكيف إذا أصابتهم مصيبة بما قدمت أيديهم ثم جاءوك يخلفون. هم جاءك يحرفون بالله إن أردنا إلا إحسانا وتوفيقا أولئك الذين يعلم الله ما في قلوبهم فأعرض عنهم وعظهم وقل لهم فيه أنفسهم قولا بليغا وما أرسلنا من رسول إلي طاع بإذن الله ولو أنهم إذ ظلموا ثم لا يجدوا في أنفسهم حرجا ما قضيت ويسلموا أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فلا تعجبك أموالهم ولا أولادهم لو يجدون ملجا او مغارات او مدخلا لولوا اليه وهم مجنحون اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولئن سالتهم ليقولن انما كن ونلعب. قل ابي الله وآياته ورسوله كنتم تستهزئون لا تعتذروا قد كفرتم بعد إيمانكم إن نعف عن طائفة منكم معذبة طائفة إِذْ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا مجرمون الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ مِنْ بَعْضٍ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمُنكَرِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَقْبِضُونَ أَيْدِيَهُمْ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَنَسِيَهُمْ إِنَّ أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها النبي جاهد الكفار والمنافقين واغلب عليهم ومأواهم جهنم وبئس المصير فَإِنْ يَكُ لَهُمْ وَإِنْ يَتَوَلَّوا يُعَذِّبُهِمُ اللَّهُ عَذَابًا أَلِيْمًا فِي وَالْآخِرَةِ وَمَا لَهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلِيٌّ وَلَا نَصِيرٍ
2: The World Assembly of Muslim Youth, warning. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth was founded in 1392 of the Hijra, that is 1972 of the Christian era. Its headquarters is in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia. The World Assembly of Muslim Youth is the first international Islamic organization dealing specifically with youth affairs. It embraces over 450 Islamic youth and student organizations in the five continents. Among the aims of WAMI are the following five. One, to serve the true Islamic ideology based on Tawheed, the unity of God. Two, to consolidate the factors which are necessary to establish an ideological unity among Muslims and to strengthen the Islamic fraternal relationship among the Muslim youth. Three, to introduce Islam to the world by using all available means. Four, Support the constructive role of youths and students in developing an Islamic society. Five, to assist Islamic youth organizations all over the globe by coordinating their activities and helping them to implement their projects. International conferences. WAMI holds an international conference every three years. Seven such conferences have already taken place. Five of them in Riyadh in the years 1972, 1973, 1976, 1979, and 1986. One in Nairobi, Kenya in 1982, and another one in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia in the year 1993. They were attended by representatives of Islamic youth and student organizations from all over the world. The participants were selected members of WAMI's General Secretariat, and they discussed issues concerning Muslim youth. WAMI also holds and assists in holding local and regional youth camps in different parts of the world throughout the year. In order to train Muslim youth in leadership and organization, the World Assembly of Muslim Youth, PO Box 10845, Riyadh 11443, Saudi Arabia, telephone 01. 464-1663 8975 and also fax one For further information you may write to the World Assembly of Muslim Youth W-A-M-Y P.O. Box 10845 Riyadh 11443 Saudi Arabia Or you may contact Swami by telephone 01-464-1663 Or 464 one six six nine or four six two eight nine eight four or four six two eight nine seven five you may also reach wami by sending a fax to zero one four six four one seven one zero and the public is not recording, recording? Two are
3: Sunni, Harun telephone 241 two 4 241 0 one
0: 5 Saudi Arabia.